There are only two weeks left in the regular season of college football. The playoff rankings were just released minutes ago. We're going to go through the playoff picture, who's alive, why Tua's injury doesn't matter, why LSU can't sleep through the SEC, some tight division races, some conference supremacy statistics, and a bunch of potential playoff scenarios. Let's get into it. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts! Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man! I'm taking all the damn dirty What's up, everybody? Just watched the ranking show. It's uh, about 8.45 p.m. for me, local time here in Florida. And at 7 p.m., they had the playoff ranking show get aired. And like I said every week, uh, the playoff rankings don't really matter. Um, I watch them more just to analyze the conversations that the people at the table are having. Then I'll jump on Twitter check what everyone's saying and you know what before we even get into the playoff stuff let's just get this thing out of the way the biggest you know kind of college football well football story right now and that was the injury to to a tongue of Iloa for Alabama and obviously just as a fan of the game and of players you know your heart goes out to him it was a tragic injury and you know we probably saw his last snap as a college football player and that's really sad you know you hope that whatever happens whatever happened to him you know it's a hip injury we hope that it doesn't affect his career long term you know we're hoping that he's still able to get himself healthy and get himself drafted it's hard to imagine that this doesn't affect him somehow in the draft in the short term but I think anyone that's uh, met Tua, not that I have, but anyone that's met him or talked about him talks about him in such high regard when it comes to his character and his perseverance, and I I have no doubt that he will get through this. So uh, prayers out to Tua. Um, And the sad thing is, is when we're talking about it, it's not something I'm going to really address beyond, you know, this this prayer that I want to give out to him because, in my opinion... It doesn't really have any effect on the college football season going forward other than you know if you're an Alabama fan you want him he gives you a better chance to win your games and going into your bowl game wherever that is you know that he's gonna help you win that but as it comes to the playoff picture I really think Alabama was in trouble with or without Tua going forward they were gonna need a lot of help to get into the playoff and I'll explain that later. If you listen to this show, you don't need me to explain it. You've heard the arguments, but every week we get newer and newer listeners, and I'm gonna go hard, a little hard with the advertising for this one. So if you do listen to the show often, this is gonna be a lot of repeat messaging um, when it comes to the playoff shtick, but you know, it, it always could use repeating. So playoff rankings just came out, and just to run through them real quick, 
we had uh, LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4. Those are the top four right now. Alabama 5, Oregon 6, Utah 7, Penn State 8, Oklahoma 9, Minnesota 10, Florida 11, Wisconsin 12, Michigan at 13, Baylor 14 after their loss, Auburn at 15, 7 and 3 team but in the top 15, Notre Dame is 8 and 2 at 16, then at 17 Iowa, 18 is Memphis, they're the highest ranked uh, group of 5 school right now. Uh, they do play number 19 Cincinnati, so that could play itself out. Then you got Boise State, number 20 right under them. Oklahoma State, 21. Iowa State, 22. USC uh, creeps into the rankings at number 23. Then you got Appalachian State, 24, and SMU, 25. Okay, so none of that really matters that much, the rankings. As I've told you, there is a hierarchy system to this. Um, you all know I'm a big fan of Clay Travis. I think he's a really good uh, sports analysis guy. And I laugh really hard when I see his uh, college football playoff takes about how he is the greatest college football playoff analyst of all time. And he almost is. He almost is. But he's missing the one thing that matters. I think he pretty much gets this. But he has been duped by a lot of people that still, even though we've had five years worth of evidence in the other direction, he's one of those people that still is caught up in this notion that the College Football Playoff Committee actually picks the best four teams on paper, which is absolutely not what they do. And I'll get into the evidence in a second, even though I've done it a million times. But what we really have here is a committee. I call them the BCS committee. I call them the politically correct committee because they'll never go against those two things. They will always make the politically correct decision and they will always basically give us the same top four that the BCS would have given us. Maybe they seed them a little differently, but it's always the same four teams we would have gotten with the BCS. Now, Clay Travis thinks that Alabama is very much alive and that Alabama has a huge argument against the likes of a Pac-12 champion, especially Oregon, right? Given the fact that they'd have that Auburn common opponent. And this is prior to Tua. This isn't even taking anything related to Tua's injury. Forget about, pretend Tua is still healthy. This, All these points still stand with a healthy Tua or with an injured Tua. None of it matters, okay? So... If you believe that the committee's job, well, this might actually be their job, but if you believe what the committee does, what they do every year is give you or try to give you the best four football teams, you would believe that Alabama is still very much alive. Because if you're actually breaking down who's talented in this in this pool of teams, Alabama is one of the the top four to five most talented football teams, especially with Tua, even without Tua. This roster's loaded. It's got tons of four and five-star players. Obviously, you can look at the Alabama roster and look at the recruiting rankings over the last, you know, four years and easily say that Alabama has a more talented roster than Oregon, Minnesota, Utah, right? Penn State, other teams that are in this discussion right now. You could totally say that about them. But it's irrelevant because that's not what the committee does, right? One of, uh, just 
picking on Clay Travis here still, one of the biggest things he points to is, oh, right now, uh, Vegas would have Alabama as like an 11-point favorite against an Oregon or whoever it is, Minnesota, Utah, these other teams. And to him, that's a huge trump card when saying that they are still alive. But I'm here to tell you that the committee has never valued the Vegas line trump card. They've proven it time and time and again. Let's do a little bit of history diving to examine this. Because what I'm going to point out to you is that the most deserving teams always get in over the top four teams. And you know my two points, okay? There are two things that the committee always will do and that they never will allow to disrupt. Number one, an undefeated Power 5 team will always make the college football playoff. There is virtually no scenario where an undefeated Power 5 team doesn't get in. The only scenario that could maybe make that happen would be if there was more than four of them. So if all five conference champions went undefeated, or Notre Dame was out there undefeated playing into this conversation, that is the only scenario in the world where an undefeated Division One Power 5 team in Notre Dame, that is the only scenario where you would maybe see an undefeated team not get into the college football playoff. And again, not, not talking about group of five. Group of five schools can go undefeated all year long, and that's irrelevant to this conversation. The second thing that will never happen or that the committee values the most is record okay we have yet to see a team with a worse record get in the college football playoff over a team that had a worse record which that makes sense right i mean if you have a worse record you you probably aren't up there realistically but here's where that main point comes in you will never see a non-conference champion get in the college football playoff over a conference champion that has the same number of losses. Okay, notice what I said there, because a lot of you are thinking, wait, whoa, 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 I've seen Alabama get in the playoff as a non-conference champion over conference champions. I've seen Ohio State get in the college football playoff as a non-conference champion over conference champions. Yes, you have. Go look at those years very carefully. 2016 was the first year that we had a non-conference champion make the playoff, and it was Ohio State. All the teams they got in over had two losses, okay? So it was not a scenario where the committee was saying, we have a conference champion with one loss, and we have Ohio State with one loss, and we just think Ohio State's better. Vegas has them favored. They're a better football team. We're putting Ohio State in the playoff. That is not what happened in 2016. In 2016, Ohio State was 11-1 with a really good resume, non-conference win over Big 12 champion Oklahoma. And that's key because Ohio State got in and the Big 12 champion had two losses. The Big 10 champion, who actually beat Ohio State, this was Penn State, This team had two losses, okay? 
All the other one-loss conference champions got in that year. If you remember 2016, it was Alabama, it was Clemson, it was Ohio State, and it was Washington. Okay? And if you want to pick more on that year, okay, Penn State, ten and, that went 10-2 and two in the regular season and then won an epic conference title game against a pretty good Wisconsin team that was also like 10-2 and two going into that game. That team was favored in the lines of Vegas, or in the eyes of Vegas, the line was that they would beat Washington. Washington was 11-1, or 12-1 Pac-12 champion, and they made the playoff because they had a better record than Penn State, even though Penn State was a better football team. Penn State was a top-four team at the end of 2016, the way they were playing. The way they were playing, they had already beaten Ohio State, and they were just rolling. They were on a roll. And then they went to the Rose Bowl against another team that was rolling, USC. USC looked unstoppable at the end of 2016. Vegas actually had USC favored against two of the four playoff teams going into the finals in 2016, right? They, they were favored over Washington because they had already beat Washington at Washington. That was Washington's only loss that year. Washington lost to the only good team they played. And... They were favored against um, Ohio State. It was a very slim line. And then I think the line of them versus, I can't really remember, but the line versus them and Clemson and Alabama, I think Alabama and Clemson were slightly favored, but it was like two and a half or three and a half, maybe six and a half. Like these were close games. However, USC had three losses. So no one had any problem with them not making the playoff. I mean, I, I didn't either. I don't think you get three losses. It's about your total body of work, right? Your total resume. But Washington didn't have a great resume either. They lost to the only good team they played, and then they didn't play anybody else that was good. But they were a one-loss conference champion, so they got in the playoff, okay? There's how many scenarios do you want me to give you? In 2015, okay, the year prior, when Michigan State makes the playoff, we all know what happened to Michigan State, right? They got boat raced by Alabama in the Cotton Bowl in 2015 in, in the playoff, okay? Because in 2015, it was Clemson was the one seed and Alabama was the two seed, Michigan State was three, and Oklahoma got in at four, okay? Why didn't Ohio State get in the playoff that year? They were 11-1. and one. Their only loss was this bad game to Michigan State in the rain, okay? Immediately following that game, Ohio State is favored in the eyes of Vegas to beat Michigan State if they play again. Ohio State was like a 10-point favorite over Oklahoma, who was the fourth seed, okay? And we all know that Ohio State would have played Alabama closer than Michigan State did that year with their roster, which was loaded going into 2015. Remember, they still had Barrett. They still had Cardell Jones. Still had Ezekiel Elliott. Braxton Miller came back. They had all these stud receivers. A bunch of athletes on defense. Four and five stars. Their coach is Urban Meyer. Okay, that team would have put up a better fight against Alabama than Michigan State did. I, I don't remember the final score, but I'm pretty sure at one point it was 38 to nothing. That might have been the final score, actually. Alabama over Michigan State. Ohio State would not have gotten beat 38 to nothing to Alabama in 2015. 
Ohio State did get beat pretty bad to Clemson in 2016, probably because they weren't one of the four best teams. Penn State was better, but they had the two losses. So this is the overwhelming evidence, right? Another good example, 2014, right? 2014, I've talked about this with TCU. TCU was number three going into the final week of the season, right? Florida State was four. Ohio State was six. Now, what happened the final week of the season? Yes, we all know that Ohio State, Cardell Jones, the 59 to nothing game against Wisconsin, the Big Ten Championship game, and Wisconsin was a, a pretty decent team. I think they were nine and three. I don't think they were 10. Maybe they were 10 and two. They were ranked, you know, I think they were ranked like 20 or something, right? So they were a respectable team. This is a team with Melvin Gordon and Ohio State just boat raced them, completely boat raced them. Well, TCU, who was number three, they also won their game. They won their game 55-6 to over Iowa State. Well, Iowa State wasn't good, but um, they won. They, they were number three in the country. They beat a team 55-6, to and guess what happens when the playoff rankings come out? Wabam! They're number five. Ohio State gets in at number four. Florida State moves up to number three. Well, guess what? Vegas had... TCU as a slight favorite over Florida State. But Florida State was undefeated, so it didn't matter. Oh, but it's I thought it's the best four teams. If it's the best four teams, your record should not trump the fact that someone might be better than you. And we saw it. That Florida State team, yeah, they were defending national champions. Yeah, they still had Jameis Winston. They flirted with death all season long. Every game was close. Didn't matter if they were playing a good team like Clemson or Notre Dame or if they were playing bad teams that year, right, like Florida or Boston College or Virginia. They just kept every game close. They had all these comebacks. They were, they were a good team. An undefeated team is a good team. But when they played Oregon, it wasn't hard to see that coming. You know, Oregon was not the team you're going to have a 21-point comeback against. That That's Oregon thrives, especially back then, on getting a lead on you and then suffocating you with that lead by just ro rolling it up even more and more and more, and the hole just grows and you can't get out of it, right? So that was a bad matchup for Florida State, and we saw what happened. Well, the committee was nowhere to be found saying, guys, TCU's better than this undefeated Florida State team. No, that would have been way too politically incorrect, especially for the first playoff rankings. They didn't do it. They set the standard right then. And then in 2015, when they didn't put Ohio State in, even though we know Ohio State was better than Oklahoma, we know Ohio State was probably better than Michigan State, even though Michigan State beat them, they didn't put him in. That would have been too politically incorrect to do. And you know what? No one really cared about those two things. No one was really, other than TCU fans, right, that were kind of stumped that they didn't get in the playoff. But they were more mad at Ohio State, not really Florida State. You know, most people respected the fact that the undefeated defending champion was back in the playoff. And they just thought that, hey, how did Ohio State jump us? You know, we, we won a game by a lot of points. They won a game by a lot of points. And somehow they get ahead of us. You can see the frustration, but... No one was that much in an uproar about it nationally. 2015, even Ohio State fans weren't like, oh my gosh, we, we, sh we should have been in the playoff over Michigan State or over Oklahoma. No, these Big Ten Ohio State fans, and yeah, a lot of them are reckless, for the most part, they were like, we didn't beat Michigan State. So we're not going. Okay? 2016, same thing happens. 
Penn State's better, but Ohio State has a better record. And that is the one where people would have been okay either way. If you remember, if you can remember 2016, you remember that Penn State, which was 11 and two, they had the early loss to Pitt, who a Pitt team that also beat Clemson, by the way. So a, they lost to an, an, an okay Pitt team, and they lost to Michigan, who was also really good in 2016. So they lost those games early. Then they rallied through the season, had the big win over Ohio State, was rolling everybody. Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley. Uh, Chris Godwin, who's a stud in my fantasy this year, by the way, but, you know, those guys were rolling. They were unstoppable. Then they blow, They beat Wisconsin, an epic Big Ten championship game, okay? And it was, wow, what do we do? We have Ohio State, who's 11-1, has the big win over Oklahoma, has the big win over Michigan at the end of the year, and that one close loss to Penn State on the road. And then we have Penn State, who started off the year eh, mediocre, and then now they're just rolling. What do, what do we do? What do we do? And honestly, that a lot of people wanted Penn State. A lot of people wanted Ohio State. That was a year where whichever decision the committee made, people would have been okay with it. But it set a precedent going forward on what they had to continue to do. Because they picked Ohio State. And everyone was like, okay, I guess having a better record and resume is more important than head-to-head in a conference championship if you have more losses, right? 11 and 2 Big 10 champion did not get in over 11 and 1 non Big 10 champion, which set the precedent for the very next year when Alabama was that 11 and 1 team and Ohio State was that 10 and 2 team. See, even that year, it felt like Ohio State deserved it a little more because even though they had the bad loss to Iowa, and they had lost early to Oklahoma. Alabama that year, you just you felt weird them losing their last game. You know, and then finding a way to get back in it. It just didn't feel right. But Ohio State was 11 and 2. And they couldn't just switch the criteria the next year to favor Ohio State once again, right? Ohio State gets in the year where they don't they have one loss over the two-loss champion. They couldn't just switch it the next year and give it to Ohio State, the two-loss champion, over the 11-1 and team, which in this case is Alabama. So because of what they did in 2016, I feel like they had no choice but to give it to Alabama in 2017. And once again, in 2017, Alabama gets in with one loss, not because they were unequivocally one of the best four teams, but because they were 11-1 and and all the other teams that would have maybe been in consideration for that fourth spot were 10-2 and or 11-2 and conference champions. Okay, Ohio State had two losses, and USC from the Pac-12 had two losses. That's why Alabama got in. They didn't get in because this other team accomplished more than them, but we just knew they were one of the top four teams, right? There was a lot of years where that Alabama team would not have gotten in. But you give Nick Saban a shot at the playoff, he's got probably a 70% chance to win it. So what did his team do? They went to the playoff that year and they won it. Not surprising. Okay. So then we have last year, 2018, right? Notre Dame is undefeated, right? We had three undefeated teams last year. First time since like 2004 that that happened. And... There was no way that either one of those undefeated teams was going to get left out. So it came down to who was that fourth spot going to be. Was it going to be Georgia at 11-2, and 
two losses, they were to good teams, and they lost in the conference title game, or it was going to be Oklahoma, who lost to Texas, and then avenged that loss to Texas, and then got in, or was it going to be Ohio State, who had the bad loss to Purdue? It wasn't Georgia, because they had two losses. It was Oklahoma, or it was going to be Ohio State, and they put Oklahoma in, because Oklahoma's loss was a little better than Ohio State's loss. See, that's where the, these, the resume and the who'd you beat and who'd you lost to, that's where those tiebreakers actually come into play. When two teams meet this criteria I'm talking about, and then they actually have to dive into the resumes, right? Georgia was not getting in over one-loss teams. They had two losses. It didn't matter that they were to LSU and that it was to Alabama in the conference championship game. And we all knew that they were still probably better than Notre Dame. And Vegas had them favored over Notre Dame. None of that mattered. What mattered was that they were 11-2 and and Oklahoma was 12-1 and with the conference champion. So it went to them. And I'm not telling you that that's, that's right. I'm not telling you that that's appropriate that that means they're one of the best four teams i'm just telling you that's what the committee does that's their criteria they have proven it to be their criteria so now that that rant is over let's let's bring that back into this year what's going on okay and let's go through some potential playoff scenarios i've written down four scenarios here one of them is the main one a couple of them are like you know, a little chaos. And then the last one is the mega chaos one. And I'm going to tell you what some of these TV pundits are saying, what Clay Travis is saying, and I'm going to tell you what's actually going to happen. Because unlike Clay Travis, unlike Kirk Kerbstreet, I, Michael Kirkering, am the greatest college football playoff analysis there is. I know exactly what they're going to do. And if they don't do this, it, would, it means they are, for the first time, breaking their own criteria that they have set in the past, right? So that's why I don't think they'll do it. Maybe they do, but I don't think they do. So let's go through some scenarios, okay? Let's say that LSU finishes undefeated 13-0. Ohio State finishes 13-0. Clemson finishes 13-0. This scenario I'm going over right now, this is the most likely one. Alabama goes 11-1. and one. They went out. With or without Tua. Who cares about the Tua thing? Pretend Tua is still healthy. This, this conversation doesn't change with a healthy Tua or an injured Tua. Okay, so 13-0 LSU, 13-0 Ohio State, 13-0 Clemson. All three of those teams are conference champions. At undefeated conference champions. Then you have an 11-1 Alabama. Then let's say, for the sake of argument, Oklahoma wins the Big 12 at 12-1. And, and let's just say Oregon happens to be the team that beats Utah at 12-1. But it could be Oregon or Utah. Or it could be Oklahoma or Baylor. When I say Pac-12 champion 12-1, it could be Oregon or Utah, right? And this is, in my opinion, and I know I'm right, this is how the playoff picture would go that year. These would be the final rankings if that happened. LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3. Oregon or Utah or Oklahoma for, or Baylor. That That's what it would be. Alabama would be sitting there at six behind the two conference champions that have the same record. Okay? So in my hypothetical scenario, I have Oregon 
being the conference champion and Oklahoma over Baylor and Utah. And let's just say that the right, that's where the real debate it would be. Oregon or Oklahoma, right? Alabama would not really be part of that discussion. They, they might pretend they are for TV ratings. And you know what? They might even put Alabama ahead of the conference champion that they don't pick just to spice it up, right? They kind of did that with Georgia last year. They put Georgia ahead of Ohio State, oh, at five and six. Not that it mattered. It didn't affect any of the outcome for those teams, but it was their way of telling you, no, yeah, we we do. We could have picked this team over to conference champion. We, we are the playoff committee. We, we do have all these criteria. No, I'm telling you, their criteria is best record, Okay, when records are tied, it's about conference champions. When those are tied, then it goes into resume. That's the order. So in my scenario, I would have LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Let I don't know who has the better, Oregon's 4, then Oklahoma's 5, Alabama 6, Minnesota 7, because in that scenario, I have them going 11 and 2, losing the Big 10 championship, Utah 8, Georgia 9, 11 and 2, okay? Maybe Georgia finishes above Utah. Who cares? Okay. Now let's talk about a scenario where this is another very likely one, but this is where the little bit of chaos starts. In this scenario, LSU loses the SEC championship game to Georgia. So Georgia would finish 12-1 and and be your SEC champion. LSU would finish 12-1 and without winning the SEC. Clemson finishes 13-0 with an ACC championship. Ohio State finishes 13-0 with a Big Ten championship. Uh, let's say Utah in this scenario is the 12-1 Pac-12 champion, and Oklahoma still wins the Big 12, and Alabama also wins out. Now, what you'll hear on television is that Georgia beating LSU ensures that we will have two SEC teams in the playoff. Right? You hear people suggesting that LSU can can probably sleepwalk through the SEC championship game. It, you know, I even heard Clay Travis saying, oh, if I'm LSU, do I even put my starters in the SEC championship game? Or do I or, or I know I'm going to the playoff? There's no way that could be true. Now, maybe if you are going to talk about them breaking their criteria, maybe, maybe if LSU loses to Georgia and it's the most crazy game we've ever seen, right? It goes to overtime. Or, or Georgia wins on a field goal or on a Hail Mary and there was lead changes back and forth, you know, maybe in that scenario, the committee finally breaks what my rules are that, that they've set for themselves and they do put the second SEC team in. But that's unlikely. I think that the playoff rankings would look like this if that happened. Ohio State 1, Clemson 2, Georgia 3. Utah 4 or Oklahoma 4, those would be 4 and 5. LSU would come in at 6, 12 and 1. Then Alabama 7 at 11 and 1. Oregon 8 at 11 and 2. And Minnesota 9 at 11 and 2. Okay? Think, think, just think about this for a second. In every year, what happens on that last day, the last little piece of, of resume, the last thing you're able to give the committee on how you look, is judged so much higher than all the other weeks, right? That last thing you give them. So let's say, and this is where you got to think about matchups for a second. I can see LSU beating Georgia in a classic game, right? An epic battle, kind of like last year's SEC championship that Georgia lost. 
What I can't really see happening is Georgia beating LSU in the same type of classic sense. Because in my opinion, if you take into consideration the type of matchup that would be, and you take into consideration that if LSU loses, there's a good chance it's because they don't think they have to win. So let's say they go in with the attitude that they're not sure if they need to win to make the playoff. But Georgia goes in with the attitude that they absolutely have to win to make the playoff, and their whole season's on the line, and this is everything, and they come in with the same attitude that they went into the championship game last year with. I feel like Georgia ends up winning by 10 points or more in that scenario, just the way that would play out. To me, we already had a slight example of this Georgia and LSU matchup if you take two other games into consideration. LSU versus Georgia offensively for LSU looks a lot like the LSU-Auburn game. LSU was able to hang in there and finally pull enough points away to beat Auburn, but Auburn's defense really gave LSU trouble, more trouble than any other team has given LSU this year. And if it wasn't for how pathetically abysmal Auburn's offense is this year, I really think that Auburn wins that game. Now, what does Georgia have? They have a defense that's pretty much right up there with Auburn. Maybe not quite as good, but pretty much just as good as Auburn. Statistically, just as good. Georgia has only allowed one rushing touchdown on them all season long. One. And as much as LSU throws the ball, they do need to run the football. Right? They're not going to beat Georgia if they can't run the ball at all. You saw with Alabama, you saw it in all these games they played, even Auburn, right? They're able to get a couple rushing yards that opens up the pass for them. LSU offense is incredible, but they would run into problems against the Georgia defense. So let's say the Georgia defense can do what the Auburn defense did to LSU. We know one thing's for sure, the Georgia offense is scoring more points than Auburn did. So let's just say, in this, in this second scenario I'm painting out, that LSU loses their conference championship game by 7 or 10 points or, or by two touchdowns, right? It's a one-touchdown game, and they can't convert a fourth down, and then Georgia ends up scoring an, a late touchdown with like 40 seconds left, and they win by 14 points. They win 35-21 to 21 or something like that, okay? Let's say that happens, and on the same day, Oregon and Utah give us this epic battle where some team comes out on top or one of those teams boat races the other team, right? Or Oklahoma and Baylor give us this epic battle or Oklahoma blows out Baylor again, right? And just complete revenge. Their comeback just keeps going, right? You really think the committee's not going to look at that and just get this feeling last second that, sorry, LSU just doesn't deserve it. Also, take into account that LSU's resume is slowly falling apart in terms of how daunting it was in the beginning. They still have a great resume. Do not get me wrong. That win over Florida is phenomenal. The win over Alabama is phenomenal. That's a really good win over Auburn, right? But this notion that they've beaten four top 10 teams, well, a lot of that relies on Texas, and Texas is falling apart right now. Um, Texas just got their fourth loss. If I had to guess, they're going to lose to Baylor. That's going to be Texas's fifth loss. And all of a sudden, that win against Texas is really nothing special at all. Really nothing special. 
Um, I, I mean, I still think it carries a little more weight than, oh, a five-loss Texas team. I think at the time of the game matters a little bit um, because Texas was playing with the confidence of a top-10 team at the time, even though they aren't a top-10 team. So it's not like I just write off that win completely. It still is impressive to me, but it's not a top-10 win. And I think Alabama is just – I think people, when the season's over – whether they beat Auburn or not, they're going to look at Alabama and be like, ah, this wasn't the same Alabama. Even though LSU finally got over the hump, this is a terrible Alabama defense, and they out outgunned them in a shootout, whatever. You know, it, it doesn't carry the same weight as if LSU beats Alabama three years ago. It just, it just doesn't. And Auburn's going to have four losses by the end of the year, so that's not a top 10 team either. The Texas A&M is probably going to have five losses by the end of the year. I mean... Their resume is still good, but it's not great. And the rest of the SEC, the SEC teams that aren't ranked are terrible, right? The rest of the SEC West, Mississippi State is garbage. Ole Miss is garbage. All these teams have non-conference losses. Arkansas is absolute garbage. I mean, we're talking getting blown out by Western Kentucky, losing to San Jose State, right? Uh, The SEC East, outside of two teams, is very mediocre, very garbage. Kentucky's garbage, mediocre. South Carolina's terrible. Tennessee's terrible. Um, to me, the only difference between the SEC and the ACC is uh, is how many great teams there are. And, I'll, and I'm going to get into some conference supremacy statistics later that I think will shock you, but let's keep on track for now. Okay, so that that's my scenario where I think if LSU loses, again, I can see a scenario where LSU loses and the committee does break their criteria and they say, look, LSU just lost this epic game to Georgia. We still think they're better than Oregon or Oklahoma. Maybe they do that. I don't think they will, though, because it's not PC, and this is the PC, the politically correct committee. Just remember that. Now let's move on to this third scenario. This third scenario sees LSU going 13-0, winning their SEC, Clemson going 13 Every scenario I'm painting out has Clemson winning, going 13-0. Okay, so let's just... Forget about them losing. Don't think it's going to happen. If they do, that would change things. But that would. Just, there's too many other crazy scenarios before you even get to what the heck would happen if Clemson lost. So let's just talk about scenarios. In all these scenarios, Clemson wins. Just get, get that out of the way. Clemson is going 13-0 in all four of my crazy scenarios. Okay, scenario number three. Clemson's undefeated. LSU's undefeated. And Ohio State loses. The Big Ten Championship game to a one-loss Minnesota. So Minnesota is 12-1, Big Ten champion. Um, in this scenario, let's say Oregon is 12-1, Pac-12 champion. And Oklahoma is 12-1, Big 12. Did I say that? Yeah, okay. And then Ohio State is 12-1, Alabama's 11-1, Georgia's 11-2, Utah is 11-2. Here's how I think the ranking would be. You'll hear all day long that if Ohio State, this, this is basically the same exact scenario I was painting with LSU, only this time it's Ohio State. In this scenario, LSU's in, Clemson's in, obviously. I don't know. Is Ohio State in or not? Well, Ohio State's not in without Minnesota because Minnesota just beat them, has the same record now, and won the Big Ten. So Minnesota has to be in, especially if you're even considering putting Ohio State back in. But then you have an Ohio State 12-1 team versus the Pac-12 champ Oregon 12-1 or Oklahoma, I personally think in this scenario you would see LSU 1, Clemson 2, 
Oklahoma or Oregon, three. Minnesota, four. Ohio State would be sitting there at five or six. Alabama probably at seven. Then Georgia, then Utah. Now, Ohio State, I think, has a better argument to get in losing their conference championship game going into it undefeated than LSU does because I think when it's all said and done, this sexy resume we've built up for LSU is actually going to look that way for Ohio State. Ohio State's win over Wisconsin will always be impressive. Wisconsin, worst case scenario, is going to be a three-loss team. And other than the fact that they dropped that one game, their other losses are respectable. Wisconsin also blew out a Michigan team that might finish at worst 9-3 and three as well. So Michigan's been rallying. If Ohio State gets to the conference title game undefeated, they will have big wins over Wisconsin. They will have a big win over Penn State. They will have a big win over Michigan on the road. And let's not forget, they also have a win over Cincinnati. Cincinnati might finish as the top group of five. Cincinnati might make a New Year's Six Bowl. Cincinnati might win the American. Ohio State blew them out, put 50 points up, won like 50 to 7, something like that. So Ohio State would now have the ultimate sexy resume over LSU. Now, if they lose to Minnesota, like I said, Minnesota's not getting left out if that happens. Minnesota's in. If you're even, if you're even considering bringing Ohio State back in, Minnesota would have to go with them. It's the only way that makes sense. And anybody that thinks otherwise, just literally don't even watch sports anymore because you just, I just can't even, I'm not even going to argue. I can't even wrap my head around that if you think that that's the case. And that is what brings us to crazy scenario number four. In this scenario, Clemson is undefeated, like I said. Georgia wins the SEC. Minnesota wins the Big Ten. Oregon wins the Pac-12. Oklahoma wins the Big 12. What happens now? This is the ultimate crazy scenario, right? Because obviously Clemson and Georgia are in. Those are the two 100% for sure. Okay. Well, Minnesota probably has to be in at three, right? 12-1 and one Big 10 champion. And then at the fourth spot, what are you doing? You got 12-1 and one LSU who didn't win their conference title game. You got 12-1 and Ohio State, who didn't win their conference title game. And then you got 12-1 and Oregon conference champion, 12-1 and Oklahoma conference champion. What the heck are you doing there? Now, I literally saw on TV, I, I think Jesse Palmer uh, and uh, Joey Galloway, like the, your main ESPN guys, they literally said in this scenario, Minnesota doesn't get in that Ohio State and LSU stay in. And this is where I just don't think they've been watching the committee every year and examining, like, I have what the committee's actually doing, right? One, from a fan perspective, that just doesn't make sense, right? Like, you beat a team head-to-head, you finish with the exact same record, a very similar resume, you win the conference and they don't, you have to go in over them. So similar to scenario number three, in scenario number four, you can't bring in Ohio State without Minnesota. But you also can't really bring in Ohio State without LSU, right? Because both LSU and Ohio State would both have really, really, really strong arguments to get in at 12-1. and one. I mean, just incredibly strong arguments to get in at 12-1. and one. But how do you take one over the other? That is super hard. 
So what's the PC thing to do? Leave them both out. You take Oregon or Oklahoma, a 12-1 team, just like Ohio State and LSU, a 12-1 team that did win their conference championship. And let's not act like Oregon's resume in Oklahoma has got off. I mean, especially Oklahoma. I actually think Oklahoma is going to be the harder team to leave out over the Pac-12. It's, I know everyone's giving the Big 12 crap right now, but look who Oklahoma, let's bring it up real quick, who they would have beaten if it's all said and done. Well, they have that win over Texas, the same win that LSU likes to flaunt. So, okay, either that means nothing for each of them or it means something for both of them. Okay, they have a good loss. Kansas State's decent. Kansas State is, I believe, 9-3 and three now. Or, or they have the potential to finish 9-3. and three. Okay, Iowa State is ranked now. Oklahoma beat them. Baylor is still ranked. And that they might rematch them and beat them twice. There's nothing harder to do in college football than beat a good team twice. Okay, so they might beat Oak Baylor twice, a, a, a Baylor team that goes ten and two, right? Eleven and two in that scenario. Both losses to Oklahoma. Oklahoma State is ranked right now, and they might win that game on the road. They still have to play TCU, who's been stingy. I mean, it's not a terrible resume. It's not quite the resume that a 12-1 Ohio State would have or a 12-1 LSU would have, but the conference championship, that carries a bunch of weight in the committee's mind. And to think otherwise means you haven't paid attention to this committee over the last five years. Because the committee has looked at two teams in the past that are virtually identical and taken the one that has the conference champion over the one who didn't. That's what this committee does. Only... And only when all things are equal, meaning records are the same, conference championship titles are the same, that's when they start to go in and nitpick the resumes and the who'd you beat and and where'd you beat them and who'd you lose to and the good loss. Only then do I really see the committee diving into those resumes to that level. They usually don't even have to go into that level. It's usually just who has the better record and of the teams with the good records, which one of those tied records has a conference championship and which one doesn't and then if we get to a scenario where we've got tied records and tied conference championships now let's start breaking down who you lost to where you lost um who'd you beat those types of things now maybe the committee does all those things the entire time but whatever it always gives us that result somehow some way it gives us that result i don't think this year would be any different and honestly as a college football fan you know, not, a, not as an Ohio State fan, not as an LSU fan, but as a college football fan, how do you not root for scenario number four? I'll tell you what, if you're an eight-team playoff fan, you're really rooting for it because you want, that would get us to expansion faster than anything, probably, right? Another, let's, another scenario, let's call this scenario number five, but it's basically the same thing as scenario number four, but let's say Georgia loses a game before the conference championship game, but then still beats LSU. And everything else in scenario four happens. Well, in that case, holy cow. Let's say they do decide to leave LSU out. I mean, what if an SEC team didn't make the playoffs somehow? I mean, wow, that, that would be crazy. Um, anyway, running out of time. That's it for the playoff scenarios and all the who's alive. Again, so let me just run down who's alive, right? My last little playoff schlum. Here's all the teams that are still alive 
to make the college football playoff as we sit here today. LSU alive and controls their own destiny. Ohio State completely alive, completely controls their own destiny. Clemson completely alive, completely controls their own destiny. Georgia completely alive and completely controls their own destiny. No one, and let's see, who else controls their own destiny completely outright? Penn State. Penn State, in my opinion, they have the one loss, but if they beat Ohio State, they go in the Big Ten. They completely control their own destiny. They are in Minnesota. If they win the Big Ten, they also completely 100% control their own destiny. All right, now let's move on to the teams that kind of control their own destiny, but there are some scenarios where they get left out, and that's Oregon and Utah, Oklahoma and Baylor. Those teams are completely alive for the playoff. They kind of control their own destiny because more often than not, a one-loss Power 5 champion finds a way to get in. But there are scenarios where they do, you know, win their conferences but get beat out by the other one, right? Or maybe that weird scenario where LSU loses but they keep them in or Ohio State, whatever, right? So those teams are completely alive but and they kind of control their own destiny, but in a way, there are some scenarios where they don't. Then you have the last team that is still alive, but in my opinion, does not control their own destiny in any way, and that is Alabama. Alabama is alive, but they absolutely need help to get in the playoff. Regardless of the two, remember, this is regardless of the two injury. With or without the two injury, Alabama has to boat race Auburn to have a shot, to have a shot to be considered. With or without Tua, they were going to have to do that. Without Tua, that's obviously going to be harder to do, and I don't see it happening. With the healthy Tua, I didn't see that happening. And even if they did boat race Auburn, there's still a pretty high likelihood, in my opinion, that one of the conference champions would get picked over them because that's just what the committee does. I don't need to go back and rehash the evidence on why them having a better roster and obviously being favored on a neutral field against a lot of those teams doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. Okay, and so that's all my playoff picture stuff. Okay, that's who's still alive. Those are all the potential scenarios. That's why I don't think the Tua injury matters that much when it comes to college football playoff scenarios. And that's also why I do not think LSU can afford to sleep through the SEC championship game. Not to mention they want the one seed, right? You want to have the one seed so you play in Atlanta. Not a huge deal, but you'd prefer to have the one seed. Okay, now we're moving on to completely other topics that aren't necessarily playoff related, although some of them kind of are. And that is some really fun, tough division races, right? I know I talk about the playoff all the time, so I'm falling victim to it myself, but I've also constantly talked about how the one thing I don't like about the playoff is how it distracts everybody from the other things in college football and how your main goal is to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Your main goal is to win your division, win your conference. If you're lucky enough to be one of the Final Four selected, then that's awesome, but that's a bonus. But the idea that it's playoff or bust, I mean, maybe if you're in Alabama and you've won this many national titles and you've made the playoff this many years in a row, you can have that mentality. Maybe Clemson kind of as of late, but no one else rightfully should have that mentality. Fans, players, coaches, that's never been what college football is about. What makes college football fun is exciting divisional races down in the latter part of the season, right? Not, oh, we know who the best four teams are at the end of September. So if you break down, there's three divisions right now that are really, really close neck and neck. Um, let's The Big Ten Conference as a whole, both of its divisions. So in the Big Ten West, you have Minnesota and Wisconsin. Minnesota is 
what are they? They are they have one loss. They are nine and one, right? Yeah, they're nine and one. And Wisconsin is eight and two. Now they will play the last game of the season, and this will be a de facto division championship game. Because if Minnesota beats Wisconsin, then they've clearly won the division. If Wisconsin beats Minnesota, they'll both have the same record, and Wisconsin will have head-to-head. Wisconsin also beat Iowa, who beat Minnesota, right? So there's a little bit of interesting stuff there, but that's an exciting division, okay? On the other side of the Big Ten, the Big Ten East, you have Ohio State and Penn State, who play this weekend in what will be a de facto Big Ten East championship game. And this game, especially as of late, has been epic, right? You talk about the big division games, right, over the last decade and even throughout history. You know, you got Alabama, LSU, Florida State and Clemson recently until Florida State kind of fell off. Those are like the always top five matchups division games. The other big one, more so than Ohio State-Michigan, especially as of late, is Ohio State-Penn State. The amount of times that these two teams have played as top 10, top 20, top 5 teams with the conference division on the line, conference championship on the line, there's been plenty of them, right? 2005 is a big one that I remember from my childhood. That was the year where Troy Smith and Justin Zwick were switching off a quarterback. Ohio State had only lost to Texas that year going into that game, and they're still alive for national title, possibly, and then Penn State beats them. That was a really, really good Penn State team that went on to win the Orange Bowl against Florida State in overtimes, three overtimes. Uh, the 2008 game was epic, if you remember. Remember, that's when Ohio State, Ohio State had Terrell Pryor. He's a freshman. He has a critical fumble in that game that cost them that game. And Penn State goes on to play in the Rose Bowl, and they win the Big Ten that year, right? Obviously, if we go to the start of this last recent run with the James Franklin Urban Meyer days, 2016, right, when Penn State had the two losses already, Ohio State's undefeated, but Penn State beats Ohio State, they get that epic blocked field goal that they return to the house, which they took their first lead in, and then they ran away with it from there, that was an epic game, Penn State goes on to win the Big Ten, even though Ohio State makes the playoff like we talked about, right, and then the next year, 2017, was that epic game in Columbus, where Barkley runs the opening kickoff back. This game's going back and forth. Ohio State's wearing the all-gray unis. Ohio State's down by like 17 late in the fourth quarter, and they still come back and win. Of course, they would go lose to Iowa the next week, but they still won the Big Ten over Penn State that year. Penn State also lost the next week to Michigan State, so both teams let that game, the emotional toll from it, get the better of them in the next week, and neither of them make the playoff. And then you had last year where Ohio State had to go on the road and it felt like Penn State was controlling that game the entire game until Ohio State on that last drive with Dwayne Haskins. You know, they go down, they make the big play. And Benjamin Victor, I think, is the receiver who scored the game-winning touchdown. Took like an over-the-middle route, broke some tackles, got in the end zone. Epic game. Hopefully, this weekend, we get the same type of epic game between Ohio State and Penn State so not only is that a division race, it also has huge playoff implications on the line. So the, both of these divisions in the Big um, Ten have playoff implications, right? Because Minnesota is still alive for the playoff. Wisconsin isn't, but they can spoil it. Wisconsin's still trying to get to a Rose Bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl, right? Like I said, getting to a New Year's Six Bowl is a huge goal for football teams. So 
That's the goal there. Now, a division race that's really, really intriguing to me is the ACC Coastal. Right now, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Pitt are all sitting there at 7-3. and three. They all have two conference losses, um, three losses total. They're all 7-3, and three, like I said. And these are three pretty good football teams when you, when you think about it. Virginia Tech and Virginia both have non-conference losses to Notre Dame, who's very good. Pitt's non-conference loss is to Penn State, who's also very good. And those were all close games for the most part. Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, and Virginia, Notre Dame were fairly close games. Um, Penn State, Pitt was very close. And then you have, they each have lost to each other. So Virginia beat Pitt, right? Virginia Tech and Virginia need to play. They've had these ACC battles with each other, but they're all 7-3. and three. Um, Hopefully, whoever, and I think, let's see, Virginia Tech and Pitt play this weekend. I'm kind of hoping for my own personal sake that Virginia Tech gets that win over Pitt because I want Virginia and Virginia Tech to play both as 8-3 and three for the division on the line in that rivalry game and then have the winner of that game come out 9-3 and three and go to the ACC championship game against Clemson. That team would probably be ranked, and, and that, that would just be better because the, the loser of that, of that game, the conference championship game, that is, right, whoever this 9-3 and three team, hopefully they're 9-3, and three, whoever this 9-3 and three team that comes out of there, they're probably going to a New Year's Six Bowl just based on some of the bowl ties. So you kind of hope that team is, is ranked just so that we get, you know, I'm all about having good New Year's Six Bowl games, right? I don't want a 6-6 six six team going to the Orange Bowl. That probably would never happen, but... I want at least a 9-3 and three regular season team, whether it's Virginia Tech, Virginia, maybe Pitt, one of those to go to the Orange Bowl and play like, you know, a Wisconsin and Alabama, Michigan, whoever, right? That's better than, you know, an 8-4 and four team, a 7-5 and five team, which I don't know exactly what the rules are there. I was kind of under the impression that you had to be ranked in like the top 12 to make a New Year's Six Bowl. That it wasn't like before where, oh, Rose Bowl's going to take a Big Ten and Orange Bowl's going to take the second ACC. Well, if the second ACC is terrible, then they shouldn't go. But uh, speaking of ACC and speaking of conferences and bowl game tie-ins and conference supremacy, let's get into some interesting uh, conference supremacy statistics and then I'll, I'll end the show. So we all hear about conference supremacy, it never leaves, right? What What are the things you hear the most? Obviously about how great the SEC is is one of the biggest things thrown around, a lot of times rightfully so. What's another thing you're hearing this year? That the ACC is really, really bad. I don't really think it's that bad. And it depends on how you measure it, right? If you're measuring a conference based on their playoff contenders, which really seems to be the only thing people base their conference supremacy on, then sure, the SEC is by far the best because they've got like a bunch of teams ranked in the top 15, top 20, right? LSU, Alabama, Georgia, right? Those are top four, top five teams. They got three of them. And then they've got, you know, Auburn, a three-loss team, but a good three-loss team, right? So they got four really solid teams. Florida, right? Florida is probably going to finish 10-2 and two with their only losses being to LSU and Georgia. So... Solid, solid conference at the top, right? If you're measuring teams by or conferences by their playoff contenders, you know, same with the Big Ten. They got Ohio State up there, Penn State's up there, Minnesota now. Then you also got Wisconsin and Iowa coming in ranked. Okay. Yo, even the Pac-12 has to be considered good because they got two playoff contenders, two. Usually they don't even have one, but this year they got two. Well, I personally do not 
judge conferences based on the number of playoff contenders. Playoff contenders, it's not a it's not a stat you ignore. It's it's kind of important. How many playoff contenders, how many potential 10-win teams do you have? You know, how top heavy are you? That that's an that's an interesting thing. It's an important thing to look at. But to me, the number one statistic when it comes to conference supremacy stats, not the only statistic, but my number one statistic is the number of teams in your conference that are over 500. That is important to me. I also look at how many teams in your conference have a losing record, right? And there's only two weeks left in the season. So if you're above 500 right now, there's a really good chance you're going to stay above 500 or at least go 500. If you have a losing record right now, there's a good chance you're going to finish with a losing record. So let me give you some interesting stats. Okay, the mighty SEC has six teams with an over 500 record. Six teams with a winning record. Six of them. Most of them are those five I mentioned, right? Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Auburn, and Florida, right? There's five of the six right there. I think Texas A&M's the other. So there are those six teams. They have two teams that are 500 as of right now, and they have five teams that have losing records. Okay, compare that to the ACC, the conference that everybody... Because remember, SEC, that's the conference everybody loves, and probably rightfully so. But now let's compare that to the ACC, the conference that everybody thinks is terrible, god-awful conference. Clemson hasn't played anybody. This conference is a joke. The Americans better than the ACC, right? Well, the ACC has eight teams that have a winning record right now. Eight. They have one team that's 500, and they have five teams, just like the SEC, with a losing record. So let's just compare them like this. The SEC has eight teams that are 500 or better, and the ACC has nine teams that are 500 or better. The only difference between these two conferences, and then they both have five teams with losing records. The only difference between these two conferences is the SEC has a couple more playoff contenders, 10-win type teams, than the ACC has. The ACC just has Clemson at the top, but it's still full of good football teams. Like I said, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, okay, even Miami. Miami played Florida close at the beginning of the year. They almost won that game. They just don't have a lot of complete teams that can boat race through a schedule, go undefeated, right? right? Clemson's the only team that can do that. Okay, but they have a lot of good football teams that would give any team a run for their money on any given day. And I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. Like, let's break down the other conferences. Uh, the Big Ten, just like the ACC, also has eight teams above 500, zero 500 teams, and six teams with a losing record. The Pac 12 only has four teams above 500, three teams currently sitting at 500, and they have four teams with the losing record. Okay, well, but but the, oh, but the Pac-12 is way better than they've been because they have these two playoff contenders. I don't know. I think a couple years ago when the Pac-12 had Washington making the playoff or almost making the playoff at 10 and two, they had Stanford at 10 and two. Right? They had USC at, at 10 and 2, 9 and 3. They had Oregon at 9 and 3. I think that conference was better than a conference that has 
two playoff contenders and a bunch of mediocre to bad teams with losing records, right? Uh, the Big 12 has six teams above 500, one team at 500, and three teams with losing records. Of course, they only have 10 teams total. So my whole point with that is there isn't a huge difference between these conferences, guys. There really isn't. The average team would have the same record against your average Power 5 conference schedule. Some teams get screwed with their schedules, right? Like, like South Carolina this year had to play Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and then they pick up Clemson in the non-conference. Yeah, you have your anomalies. I mean, A&M's got it the worst, right? Texas A&M literally plays Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson. Okay, that might be the best five-loss team there is if they lose all five of those games. Some teams do play these ridiculously brutal schedules, and sometimes the SEC is a part of that. But on average, because we've talked about Alabama's schedule this year, Alabama plays LSU and Auburn, and that's basically it. And then they play Duke, right, who is one of these ACC teams above 500. But... They play Duke, then they play three FCS schools or group of five schools, like, ugh, just mediocre, right? Terrible schedule. And then Arkansas is terrible. Tennessee's terrible. Ole Miss is terrible. Mississippi State's terrible. You're telling me Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss, you're telling me I, I, those games were probably easier than Duke for Alabama. Alabama struggled with Duke the first couple quarters, right? That game was fairly close. That game was 0-0 zero zero at the end of the first quarter, if you remember, the kickoff game against Duke at the beginning of the year. Um, Alabama was having trouble running the football. Duke was running the football. Um, Alabama ends up winning that game pretty pretty big. But, you know, I think that half these ACC schools are better than, you know, this bottom of the SEC. The SEC used to be the best, not because of all these playoff contenders, but because the bottom was strong too. The SEC used to only have like maybe one or two schools that were really bad. Like, right, like maybe Vanderbilt was really bad, even though they've had good seasons too. Right, but it was like, oh wow, you know, like South South Carolina is five hundred. They're still strong, right? Tennessee's okay. Um, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, right? They were good together there for a couple of years. You know, it was the middle to bottom was still real above average, along with a really top heavy team. The SEC has managed to stay top heavy, but the middle to bottom is falling out, just like in the Pac twelve and some of these other conferences. The ACC doesn't really have a top heavy other than Clemson, but they don't have a very big bottom, right? There's a couple teams that are bad, right? You got Georgia Tech's really bad, but there's a lot of teams over 500 that are just good football teams, right? Wake Forest is a good football team. They got big receivers. They score a lot of points. I've already talked about Virginia Tech, Virginia, Pittsburgh. Those are good football teams. Miami's a pretty decent football team. Almost beat Florida. They drop games to each other because none of them are complete, so they're going to drop, you know, three to four games. But, I mean, you finish seven and five, you're a pretty decent college football team. You know, maybe you know some schools, like, that's terrible as far as their expectations, but in the grand scheme of college football, seven and five, eight and four college football teams are pretty good. They're pretty good. So... The conference stuff is a joke, and that's why you can relate that all the way back to these playoff predictions and why 
it is okay, in my opinion, for the committee to do what they do as far as they just pick a lot of the conference champions and they run with that. I think that's okay. I don't have a big problem with that. And it's these statistics on the conferences which makes me okay with that. Also take into account that the SEC and ACC only play eight conference games, while the Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12 all play nine conference games. That extra conference game makes a big deal, okay? Look at Alabama this year. They couldn't even keep Tua healthy with the eight-game conference schedule. Now they go play a a mop-up warm-up game, like a Southern Miss or somebody, before Auburn. What if they had to play another conference game? What if they had to play, got someone like Georgia from the East, or even someone like, oh, a Kentucky... You know, a Missouri, that that is way different than having to play this cupcake team that they play. I don't even, who, who is it that they play this week? Alabama's going to be playing basically by Western Carolina, WCU. I don't know if that's Western Carolina. That's my guess, right? But that's who they play before Auburn. Can you imagine if they had to play another SEC East opponent? That would be, I mean, obviously they probably would still win the game. I'm not saying that. But think about it. Alabama's trying to make this playoff push, and they're putting all their eggs into getting healthy and putting this game plan in to beat Auburn. Well, them playing Western Carolina, or whoever the hell it is, basically gives them the opportunity to take this week as a bye, where if they had to play Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, right? Oh, or let alone like Florida or Georgia, you can easily see them, if it's Florida or Georgia, adding another loss. If it's one of those other teams, yeah, they probably beat them, but they have to take that game seriously before the and then the, and then they go into the Iron Bowl, right? And that's also where the ACC gets a lot of flack too. The ACC doesn't play that 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 last conference game, so that's why I think Clemson, right, this week. Okay, they have a bye week before South Carolina, but Clemson has played. Yeah, they played A and M in the non conference, but they also played this team called Charlotte, and they also played Wofford. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay. The Pac-12 gets crap a lot of times because they don't schedule a lot of strong non-conference opponents. But if you look at the team that is in contention for the Pac-12 this year, and that's Oregon, look who they're scheduled. You know, they played Auburn non-conference. Yeah, they also played Nevada and Montana. Okay. At least Nevada and Montana are both... Well, Nevada is a group of five school Montana's an FCS school they're a pretty good FCS program actually but whatever it's an FCS school but then they had all nine of their conference games to follow that right Stanford Cal Colorado at Washington Washington State at USC Arizona at Arizona State and Oregon State all in a row nine conference games all in a row opening the year with Auburn on a neutral field right if you take a team like USC because of some of their non-conference ties, right? They always got that Notre Dame game. Their schedule is always pretty daunting, right? Let's let's look at USC for a second. Okay, USC played Fresno State. Okay, it's a group of five school. At least it's Division One, right? It's not Wofford. It's not Western Carolina. It's not Louisiana Monroe. It's it's a mediocre group of five school. Okay, Fresno State. Then they started Pac-12 play Stanford. Then they're at BYU. They actually lost this game, right? So BYU is a mediocre, they're independent, right? But you'd probably put them in group of five territory, I guess. But they're non-conference, Fresno State, at BYU, and at Notre Dame. And then nine conference games, to me, is way more impressive than 
Alabama, who is playing a schedule where they play, pull it up again real quick, Alabama, like I was saying, they play, okay, Duke, New Mexico State, Southern Miss, Western Carolina, and eight conference games. Oh, and part of those eight conference games is Arkansas, one of the worst teams in the history of the world. Tennessee has been pretty bad, although they've turned it around this down the stretch here. Uh, Ole Miss, okay, Ole Miss lost non-conference games to Cal and Memphis, who are respectable, but not SEC standard. Mississippi State's terrible. Joe Moorhead sucks. So, there's that. Anyway, I went on about that whole thing way longer than I wanted to, but... I mean, we're, shit, we're sitting here on hour 12 now. But that is just my whole point with that conference supremacy stuff is just to point out to you that these different conference schedules are not as different as people like to say. You know, people look at these ACC schedules, these Pac-12 schedules, right? A lot, especially, I mean, and it is mostly the SEC that does this. And a lot of times they're right. But this year, specifically, I don't think they're right. When they look at these other schedules, they go, oh, I'd, oh we'd go undefeated against that. Really? You could handle the nine straight conference games and all your non-conference games being at the very least good group of five schools. Like I said, look what USC did, right? Notre Dame, BYU, Fresno State, way tougher than Southern Miss and Mercer and Wofford and Western Carolina. So just keep that in mind and maybe allow that to ease your mind when you're going back to my playoff scenarios. I don't know. Maybe some of you were pulling your hair out when I was giving you my playoff scenarios. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my bias. I am personally okay with what the committee does, but me being super confident in why I'm declaring myself a better college football playoff analyst than the almighty Clay Travis, than the almighty Joel Klatt, than even Kirk Kerbstreit at the time, is not because of my bias, it's because that's me analyzing what the committee has repeatedly done. And if they go against that, it will be the first time. It will be the first time. So if I'm betting, I'm betting they do what they normally do. Every year, everyone else bets that they're going to, for the first time ever, do something they've never done before. Oh, we're going to put two SEC schools in. Forget what the other conference champions did. And yes, I know two SEC schools got in before, but as I've explained... The scenario was different. They still followed my criteria both times that they put the non-conference champion in. I'm not going to repeat myself again. This is going on too long. But you get the point. Okay, that's it. I'm done. That's the playoff scenarios. Let's see what happens. Let's root for my fourth playoff scenario. Let's get the ultimate chaos shaping up. Let's get it done. All right, see you guys next week. (laughs) 